is your past first point guard and trailblazers reporter mike richmond listen to another episode of locks on blazers on locked on podcast network available wherever you get podcasts and also on youtube thanks for making this show your first listen coming at you monday through friday every single weekday start your days with it make it a part of your daily routine tell your friends to do the same it's locked on blazers your team every day today's show a really fun one. It is a crossover edition with Brendan Clean, the host of Locked On Suns. And we're going to talk about the portion of the Damian Lillard trade that just involved Phoenix and the uh and your Portland Trailblazers, that is. Uh so focusing on DeAndre Ayton, Yusuf Nurkic, Nazir Little, Tumani Kamara. Uh, this was just to be clear, recorded before the Drew Holiday portion of the trade had been finalized but in any case we're focusing on what Aiton brings to the Blazers and what Nurk will bring to the Suns it's good perspective from someone who's covered DeAndre Aiton very closely over the years let's just get into it welcome to a crossover edition of the locked on Blazers slash Suns program whatever you're listening to I'm Mike Richmond host of locked on Blazers and joining me the host of locked on Suns Brandon Clean we're here to talk about the 2018 NBA draft we're going to relitigate who should have gone number one no I'm just kidding we're not going to do that poor Suns fans you don't deserve that we're going to talk about the big trade Yusuf Nurkic is in the desert DeAndre Ayton's got a new home and Tumani Kamara also got a new job and Grayson Allen, welcome, welcome to Arizona. Brendan, let's talk about the just the trade from, you know, we'll start with the Suns' perspective. Why did they seem so interested in getting involved in this one? Well, from the biggest possible standpoint, they're involved and interested because they wanted to get rid of DeAndre Ayton, you know, and... There's a variety of reasons for that, and, and we can get into as many of them as you want, and we can uh, you know depress or excite Blazers fans as much as you want me to go in either direction. But I think from the Suns' standpoint, the fact of the matter has been they don't trust him. And their, their goals as a franchise are to win a championship. It's been that for three years. It'll be that for the foreseeable future. And I just think at the end of the day, they did not see him as somebody from a mentality standpoint from an on-court consistency standpoint, from a locker room standpoint, potentially, depending on who you talk to or how much you want to read into it, that that just wasn't going to be him. And so dating back to the deadline of trade deadline of the best season in franchise history two years ago, there have been very public rumors around trading him. DeMontis Sabonis' name came up at one point, the entire saga around giving him an extension and then the restricted free agency and sign in trades. And then this summer there was a Mavs offer that was a pile of garbage at the draft and it hasn't, it hasn't quieted down. Now, why did they get involved in this one? I think is a bigger question and why I'm excited to talk to you a little bit more about Yusuf Nurkic, but I think that they saw this as their last best opportunity to trade Aiton in a package for a package of role players in a big trade that was going to have a lot of players potentially changing teams. At, at, at various points, this was a five-team incarnation. It, it became three, and they still got involved. So I think all of that, they just wanted to jump in on, on a trade, any trade where they could get smaller salaries, better depth, and all that stuff for Aiton. And then the, the, the small last kind of caveat there is the, the CBA is, is forcing their hand a little bit. They aren't going to have the same flexibility to trade DeAndre Ayton next summer because of the second apron in the new collective bargaining agreement. So unless you want to roll into the season with the expectation you kind of have to do it by the deadline anyway, I do get why they said, hey, this big thing is happening. A lot of players are going to be up for grabs. Can we get three of them and send our guy out? 
And I think that's kind of how this all came together on the Sun side. Is there a cost-cutting element to it, or is it just the turn one contract into three players? I mean, down the line, it could be a cost-cutting thing, but in this trade, they actually added salary. And so right, right. that that's part of what that second apron kind of situation left them with is next summer, they actually would not be allowed to add any salary. Now they can. So that that's a little bit of, I think, why they did it the way that they did it. Because in you know next year, you're talking about bringing back equivalent to Aiton or less than and nothing more. So this trade wouldn't have been legal for them or the Bucks uh, next summer. Right. Right, yeah, two te- two teams that were motivated to in, in some ways. I mean, the Bucks were kind of hemmed in. They ha- if they were going to make a move, they had to trade uh, Drew Holiday. Uh, yeah, who, who's good might not end up being a Blazer, but a good basketball player. Um, yeah. I would say, oh, listening to your show over the last two years, and I mean this with respect, I don't think you like DeAndre Ayton very much as a basketball player. What frustrates you about him? For for my listeners, like what what. Because I think they see 18 and 10, 25 years mm-hmm. old, the efficiency around the rim, which is something that uh, we could talk about with the other center in this trade. It's like they yeah. get excited. What what has frustrated you about DA? And let's start there. Let's start bad and get good. Okay. Uh, well, look, I mean, I think the reason I was so specific about saying the goals of the franchise didn't align with maybe what his mentality is as a player is I do think that's a big part of it, right? I think early on in this guy's career, like there's certain ways you could turn your head or, you know, flip the page upside down and and look like, is his rookie season his best year offensively? And maybe it was, you know, so that and then the second year when Monty Williams gets in, he has the suspension, he has a couple ankle injuries, he only plays like 30, 40 games, but also appears to be a pretty high ceiling offensive player. And then once Chris Paul gets into town, Aiton, to his credit, took the back seat, sacrificed. And I just think that never sat right with him. I think that what he was asked to do did not align with how he saw himself as a player. And look, at the end of the day, there is just sometimes that friction that doesn't that doesn't go away. And maybe there is a version of DeAndre Ayton four years from now where, you know, the Blazers or some other team that ends up getting him are a championship team and it works in that situation but I just don't think it was going to work in this one as far as why he's a, a frustrating player in general it's it is the the biggest roller coaster that I've experienced of anybody that I've watched day to day of you know hold on he can do that and then the <laughs> neck and then you won't see it for a month right like he will have you know, game three against the New Orleans Pelicans in 2022 in the first round is what I think is his best offensive game ever. He's he's busting out spin moves. He's he's you know putting breaking Jonas Valanciunas's ankles from the free throw line, dribbling into the paint and and, and dunking and hook shots galore, mid range jumpers, all this stuff. We never really ever saw it in any game besides that one. You know what I mean? So. Uh, that and then he just you know he doesn't dunk the ball he doesn't get to the free throw line he doesn't block shots he is everything physically that you would want in a center but those things do not translate to how he impacts the game and so I hope that changes he is only 25 years old I was sitting here talking myself into it happening this year in Phoenix so I'm I'm by no means completely out no possible chance he ever improves type of guy with Aiton but you know, at the end of the day, he's been in the league a while and, and that progress just hasn't come. So it, it is it is frustrating. And, and he will, even on a worse team, he will have some, you know, scratch your head and, 
you know, rip out your eyeballs types of moments if you're a if you're a Blazers fan, I think. Yeah, I, I think you might average like 20 and 10, but 20 and 10 is not all 20 and 10s are created the same. Um, yeah. In the 2021 playoffs, DeAndre Ayton was like legitimately good. Like he guarded yeah. Nikola Jokic really well. Um, he was he was that was the version of him, right? Like that's the thing, the mm-hmm. physicality, the consistency, the sort of just like. Uh, I don't not garbage man's not the right word, but like kind of just like the role player, the fitting in where like, mm-hmm. do you think, and, and this is from the outside for sure. He has that run. Like you said, the best season in franchise history. He has that run. He, he was awesome in the postseason, and then he doesn't get the money. Do you think that has something to do with it? Like that after that productive, after that productive run, not getting paid kind of just changed what he's been or, or is that putting too much on, sort of soft stuff. I think that that is a part of it for sure. And, and you know, the weird thing and, and not something that matters anymore because neither Monty Williams or Robert Sarver or DeAndre Ayton are here anymore. Uh, but if you read some of the insiders who were plugged into this situation, the, the idea is that Monty wanted to trade him after the finals. And so it, it it's bizarre how it lined up where you would, at the same time, I'm saying there would be some of these really high highs behind the scenes. They didn't seem to amount to anything. And it does just seem like there was a wall of where this guy's play was able to get him in kind of the pecking order and trust level of the team. But he was awesome. I don't I wouldn't I, I don't have to work with the guy, but I would not have wanted to trade DeAndre Ayton after the 2021 finals. I think that was the absolute peak of what he was. I think he, you know, at his best, like he is a more modern, more uh offensively gifted version of like an Andre Drummond or DeAndre Jordan. And like that might sound like an insult in 2023, but if you're talking about a, a better version of those guys who who fits a little better with how the NBA works these days, that's those guys made all-star teams and all NBA teams. So Yeah, DeAndre Jordan's an all NBA center. Like that's a that's exactly. that's a good thing. And he's gonna play 15 years in the league. Like that's a good outcome for exactly. a lot of players. Yeah, and so, I mean, like, yeah, you saw him. You saw him protect the rim. You saw him run in transition. You saw him finish at an elite level. You saw him have moments where he guarded Giannis pretty well, guarded Jokic pretty well, one on one. Like he he really had the whole package. He was playing a ton of minutes. He was rebounding better than he ever has. Like that was the dream of when he's engaged. This is what he can be. Yeah, I like. I think, and this is maybe my rosy outlook because he has yet to. I mean, he's probably. He's maybe been in, eh, he probably hasn't been. He's yet to make it to Oregon as we're recording this. He'll probably be here soon, but yet to make it. Um, we got I a think, Nurk selfie with a cactus already. So he's he's hey, in town, but I don't know if DA man. has gotten well, out there. <laughs> you, could, you can imagine that uh, going from Oregon to Arizona in September, more appealing than the other way. Um, sure. You, better, better weather this time of year. It's very wet where we live. Um, but, mm-hmm. but uh, like, I think he can be more on it. Like Aiden can be more on this team because the, like the ask isn't going to be, Hey, get in where you fit in. It's going to be like, do you want to be the, uh, uh, one of the, the big options? Obviously Jeremy Grant's going to shoot it a lot. Amphrey Simon's going to shoot it a lot. Scoot Henderson's going to get his touches, but DA is going to be involved in all of those actions. He's going to be a primary screener, pick and roll guy. Like he has an opportunity to have a bigger offensive load. And that seems to be one of the things he wanted. And he's, the mid-range touch is there. He's really I, I, his hook shots moves around the rim. He's got good touch around the rim. Um, mm-hmm. Face-up moves, one dribble moves, not multi-dribble moves, but a couple one dribble moves. He's got some. He's got some skills. I think he's sure. Um, 
Um, I saw him play for the Bahamas. I don't think you want him to just like dribble the ball up the court. <laughs> like, that's maybe not no. the, maybe not the best option for him. But he's he's a skilled offensive player, and if the Blazers can yeah. tap into that, I think you can get more out of him on defense. Like I I believe he can be more spread his wings a little bit more in a different setting. Um, I will say it might be a uh, some sort of red flag that a guy does better on a team with lower expectations. But that's a problem for another day because for now the Blazers have low expectations. Yeah, I, I think we've hit on the DA stuff. I'm excited for him. Sure. I, I, I am. I think he's going to be fun. Um, he's going to make he them come, better. Like they're going right. to be better with him than they would have been otherwise. I think that's undeniable. I, I think, and 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 this is what I want to talk to you about in this in the second segment is like, I think DeAndre Ayton is unequivocally better at basketball than Yusuf Nurkic, and yet the the Suns made this gamble. Let's talk about kind of that appeal from your end and, and I can give you some insights into someone who has watched Nurk closely over seven seasons. That's what we'll do in the second segment. Today's show brought to you by Ibotta. Look, you're going to buy stuff. Why not get cash back along the way? Ibotta gives you cash back on everything you buy. So if you go to the grocery store, you get cash back on things like produce and personal care, pantry goods. So you can just start getting money for things you were already going to purchase anyway. So super simple to use. Just link your loyalty account or upload a receipt after you shop and you'll get cash back. Average Ibotta user earns $100 per year. So that could probably cover a trip to the grocery store. You could use it to treat yourself. You know, upgrade a flight if you're going somewhere. Get yourself nice tickets to a sporting event or maybe take yourself out to a fancy dinner. Other apps are going to give you points. And points don't really amount to much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out straight to your bank account, send it to your PayPal account, get it in gift cards if you so choose, whatever you want. But it's not just groceries. Like I said, it's hundreds of online brands and retailers, places like Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, wherever you're going to shop. Why not try using Ibotta and get a little cash back? So download the Ibotta app now and use the code LOCKED to start earning real cash back. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store, download the free Ibotta app and use the code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use the code LOCKED. All right, still chatting here. The Locked on Suns, Locked on Blazers crossover episode. I'm Mike Richmond, host of Locked on Blazers. Brandon Clean, host of Locked on Suns. Uh, make these shows your first listen. Subscribe, do all of that fun stuff wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Brandon, I've been driving the ship curious about DA. I am sure you got questions about Nurk. Hit me with them. So, I mean, I think the place that I want to start, there are certain incredibly granular analytics that paint Yusuf Nurkic as a credible rim protector, even in the past few years since the leg injury. Right. Are those stats telling the truth? Is is he capable if you say our head coach, Frank Vogel, created the Roy Hibbert Frankenstein's monster? Can can Yusuf Nurkic do his best, you know, mimicry of that and and just block shots and stand in the way and, and play 20 minutes a game in the playoffs? Is that dream reasonable for Suns fans to have? That specific dream you just painted, stand in the way, play 20 minutes in the playoffs? Hell yeah. The problem with Nurk is the ask beyond that. His issue has mostly been consistency. He, it's not that he's incapable or unwilling or all these things. It's just like sometimes the energy and effort wanes and he doesn't have the physical gifts to make up for a night when he is not playing as sharp as he needs to be. Like you put Nurk in drop. He's big. He knows where to be. He's got good sense. He has really good hands. Like he has really good hands on both sides of the floor. He'll, he'll, 
you know, get in passing lanes and deflect passes and 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 block shots without being a leaper and all those things. And on the other end, he has good hands. And, and I think that's a pretty big upgrade for the Suns, a, a guy who could pass out of the high post. But there are nights when he's just not engaged. And even in drop coverage, he gets blown by. And because he doesn't have the physical gifts to make up for it, it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, he's not, he's just not, he doesn't, he doesn't have it all the way. But yeah. It, Vogel is, is, has proven to be pretty good with this type of player, not just Roy Hibbert way back when, but like get it, finding the last guy to find really good minutes out of Dwight Howard. Right. Uh, yeah. Dwight was kind of unplayable after he got off, after he was no longer a, a Laker. Uh, and, and Dwight Howard is like a hall of fame basketball player. It's not the same level as Nurk, but a similar type of player at that stage in his career where it was going to be sure. drop coverage, not, not, you know, drop back, crowd the paint, block shots, rebound, and all those things. I think Nurk can be that. I, I think there is belief that on defense, that Yusuf Nurkic is a stylistic upgrade that that uh, that helps the Suns get better on that end. And I think it might be easier for him to buy into the just do what you need to do type of thing in a way that maybe it wasn't for it wasn't for DA. Like I I think that's that's mm. uh, likely. I worry that he is enough of a downgrade on offense that the the frustrations the 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 Suns are going to be really good on offense because they've got a bunch of really good players. So there's a way to just totally totally mitigate Nurk's struggles there. But he is worse on offense in a significant way compared to what Aiton was, mm. um, and that might be a thing that pops up. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, I think, on the offensive end because at the same time as I think you're you're right, like you you go to Yusuf Nurkic's, you know, cleaning the glass, has it broken out by all the different spots on the court. How good are they at making shots from there? It's a lot of blue. It's a lot of lower <laughs> percentile, right? Like he just doesn't he just doesn't put the ball into the basket at a high level from any place on the court. And like that sounds like a, a really like sick burn about an NBA player, but it's just kind of true. He does other things well. I think the passing, the screening, the rebounding, those are going to be places where he can impact the game that Aiton didn't, I would I would think, just kind of watching it from afar. But uh let's on the offensive end though, I think one thing Suns fans and, and NBA fans in general have kind of like, is this real? Is this not real? Is the three point shooting from this past season. Why did he start taking more? Because he always wanted to, and they finally let him. <laughs> that's, okay, that's okay. it. Um, uh, you know, even in the last year of the Stotts era, Nurk flirted with shooting threes. Um, the twenty, the twenty 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 one season. Um, but Terry Stotts was like, you, you miss a lot of them, and so I don't love that you take them. And it was like, the offense is like the Blazers' strength was offense. So like getting a bad shot on offense when you have Damian Lillard, it seems like a mistake, particularly because you're going to be bad on the other end. Like let's go be the number one offense in the league because we might be the number twenty-five defense on the league so in the league on the other side. So like we need to score to win. We can't having crappy possessions is not a good plan for us. But Chauncey Billups said, "Yeah, shoot him, big fella," and Nurk started shooting him and and. This past season, for the first time, he started making them. He shot, you know, above the league average, not on a lot of volume, but above the league average. When he has space, it's a long load up. Like it is not a quick release. It's a long load up if you if you've watched any of of his shots. But it doesn't look like he's forcing them. It doesn't look funky. He, he's he's a guy who has that kind of range. He doesn't need a he doesn't need to leap because he's a big person. Um, he's 
Yeah. You could space him to the corner and he has comfortable touch there. Uh, it's just, he never, they never really guarded him. No, teams never committed to the point where they guarded him. So even though it became this, I'm an above average shooter from three, it never became a geometry impacting weapon on offense. And I think with the Suns, that's the next step for him, right? Is that like, because they're so good and because everyone on their team shoots 19 footers, um, the, the greatest 19 footer shooting team ever, but like you do need around those guys, people to kind of get the heck out of the way. And Nurk has the potential to get the heck out of the way and be exactly that. It's just, will teams respect it? Or will teams say, I'm going to go double Devin Booker because I'm really worried about this dude taking mid range pull-ups. And if he kicks to Nurk in the corner, we're not worried. Um, I'm curious. Uh, do you think he'll, do you think he's the primary screener on offense just because he has to be and he's like more of a pick-and-pop guy? Or is he a spacer? Because sometimes, and you know this better than me, the Suns have said, screw pick-and-rolls. We can just go, we can iso and kick from here because we have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. It doesn't matter as much. And especially this last year with exactly when they got Durant, they, you know, hey, let's just clear out, right? And yeah. I think that's the luxury of, of having the talent that they have. I think he'll do both. I think that they will probably explore their best players screening for each other quite a bit, and especially with, with Durant having the ability to dribble and, and shoot at his size. It would be kind of silly not to. A lot of people liked the chemistry that Beal developed with Porzingis. Maybe some of that can be translated into Nurk, who's not quite as mobile, not quite as much of a threat to create for himself, but is big and can shoot, hopefully, like you were saying. So I think that they'll like, I think that they'll see what they have and what they like with all the combinations of players. I do have uh, some Nasir little questions, which maybe we can okay, get yeah. to briefly. But uh, on Nurkic, is he, how big of a concern is the injury stuff at this point? Like, is it, oh, it's always this thing, or is it he's just getting up there, so different stuff always seems to happen? Is it they were bad, so they let him rest more than he needed to? I think, what's the, where on the scale is he with, like, injury risk, quote-unquote? Yeah, you know, some of it was like Nurk was about to play, uh, not this past season, but the season before. He was about to play 70 games entering free agency, but the Blazers, um, and I think they might end up getting in trouble for this here in the next couple months. But like they just made up injuries whole cloth and held him out of the, held him out of the games. Like they just said, Oh, he has plantar yeah. fasciitis, which is something that he did deal with early in the season, but he had played through for 65 games. And then they were like, Oh, I just flared up. He's got to sit down so we can draft in the top five or whatever. Um, yeah. And, and so like he would have played another 12 games um, and, okay. and for Nurk's trouble, uh, he, you know, he, he said, he sits the last 12 or 14 at the end of that season and they gave him a giant contract. Thank you for your services. So it worked out great for him and the, and the, and clutch sports, but he has had little nagging things, little nagging things. Like, you know, okay. he, he had a catastrophic injury in 2019. He broke his leg. Yeah. But pr prior to that, he had had little things that flare up. He's just a big body. He's a big body and he seems to have some, he's had some calf things, some hamstring things, just some like, it's hard to run around and be seven foot, 300 pounds and have your legs always work because maybe bodies shouldn't play basketball as much as they do. Um, like I, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, so, I'm kind of hoping he play, if he can play even a little less than he did in Portland, that, that could help. I mean, you never really know. Yeah. But. 
one of the things about Nurk is like even at his full strength, you're maxing out at about 29, 30 minutes. Like he's not a 36 minute a night guy. He just doesn't have the stamina because he's gigantic. Like he's just too big yeah. for it. Um, it. It's and that's his best skill is that he's gigantic. Like I, I mean that as a compliment. Mm -hmm. Like that's yeah. um, some of the appeal is that he's just bigger than everyone else. Um, and you just you go into each game being like, well, they're. It, they don't have someone who can set a screen like him. They don't have someone who can, if he's engaged, keep him off the boards and that type of thing. Like he's, he's just so big. Um, so I think the injury stuff is real, but I don't think it is. I think it's a little overblown in le recent seasons because the Blazers have punted on the final, you know, two weeks to three to a month of the season um, on multiple yeah. occasions. Yeah. I think Suns fans will be familiar with that. Judging from how we had, had to look at the Beal injury history the past <laughs> few years as well but uh do we want to do little right now or save it for the next segment let's go to the next segment let's talk let's talk little um let's talk uh tamani kamara if you have a single thought yeah, and then let's I let's do. answer the question did, did both of these teams get better because i think this is a situation where that might be the case uh join us in that third segment won't you i'm still a pass first point guard I'm still Mike Richmond, host of Lockdown Blazers. Still chatting here with Brandon Clean, host of Lockdown Suns, and a crossover edition of Lockdown Blazers and Locked on Suns. You have questions about Nazir Little. What do you want to know? Did you watch him the first four years of his career and think he would be pretty solid on a great team? I was convinced heading into last season that he was going to be an NBA starter, and he was not. He was not. I'm a Carolina guy. Like, I grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, Zero Little went to UNC. I am perhaps guilty of being a homer. But I will say he was not good his one year at UNC. he The reason he slipped in the draft is because he was not very good. He he went where he should have gone. Um, he has the physical tools to be a really good defensive player. He has not figured out the team concept on defense. Frank Vogel mm. might be the guy who helps him figure that out. There was a time when it looked like he was understanding one-on-one -on -one defense. Ball's in front of me. I can use my length. I can use my, my strength, my athleticism to be a good defender. He slipped in that area last year. Hmm. There was a time when he was a really good offensive rebounder, but then he started shooting and making threes last year. So he stopped crashing the glass because he was at the three-point line. He just hasn't ever put it together, and he's had so many little weird injuries that his career has just stopped and started and stopped and started. Um, and then when he's had opportunity, he hasn't been he hasn't earned that consistent trust. I think there is an NBA player in Nas, but the Suns are the Suns would be the first team to find it, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I covered that draft pretty closely too. Just uh, being that the Suns had a high pick and ended up having two first round picks and everything else, so I I, I definitely have the perception of him that he. That feel and awareness are some of the things that are holding him back. And just statistically going through some of it, I, I think it tracks with what you're saying, that there's been seasons where individual skills have jumped out, but there's not been one season where all of them combined to have him be kind of a net positive. So, yeah, it would. It, it seems like it'd be a pretty considerable leap from him to go for him to go from what he has been to somebody who's like, you know, in an eight-man rotation in the conference finals or something. That would be... That would be a pretty a pretty huge leap, but I guess they have him under contract beyond this year, so maybe it's it's more of a long yeah, play. Yeah, he's on a, he's on a cheap deal. It's very little risk, right? He, he makes like seven million dollars a year for the next four seasons. Like that's that's great if he's an NBA player, and if he's not, 
it's not that it's not that big of a risk and it's like a pretty tradable contract like it's very low risk like like he became a pretty good shooter last year he's if he can shoot a little bit and Vogel can unlock his defense that's a dude who can help you in the regular season and i think increasingly like for for really good teams like the suns right a team that's going to compete for a championship you need 12 decent players that can help you win enough regular season games to get you where you need to go because guys are going to miss time and all those things. And then you need eight dudes who can play in the in the, in the the playoffs. Yeah. I think Nas has a chance to be easily part of that first mix. The regular season positive contributors that get you there. And then the Suns will say, here's our eight. You're, you may or may not be part of it. Probably not as, as we stand here today. I guess it'll be Kata Bates Diop, but like, uh, who knows? Um, but like, uh, I think there is because this because the way the regular season the playoffs are so different for like elite teams. I think Nas is a as a decent risk or like a decent sort of flyer because like Grayson Allen, it's like yeah, we can get good regular season minutes or enough good regular season minutes to get us where we want to go. Yeah, Do that you, tracks. We the Blazers got a player that frankly. I did not know about until I saw the trade. <laughs> can you, can yeah. you tell me what you know, if anything, about Tumani Kamara? Um, and shout out to all my Belgian fans listening. Big day for Belgium. Big day for Belgium. Uh, big day for Dayton. Big day for the University of Georgia. Yeah, this guy, yeah. I didn't know who he was until all of a sudden, you know, number 52 in June, he, he gets selected by the team I cover. And I mean, look, I think... Uh, it was smart of Portland to to kind of steal him in this thing because the Suns clearly they showed us that they believed in him by giving him one of those you know hinky yep. special type of second round picks that are kind of the basically a, an option based on your performance the previous year but the team has control for four seasons not super common for for unproven second round guys he is older at 23 and they really built I wouldn't say they it's probably a stretch to say they built their summer league team around him, but they allowed him to have the ball quite a bit in summer league and didn't really block him in any type of way. They put some guards and some bigs, and then he was kind of the facilitator. He got some scoring opportunities. They let him grab and go off off of off of rebounds, and and I think he acquitted himself pretty well. You know, he didn't make his threes, but he really impacted the game in summer league. And it's summer league, but I think that considering feel and and kind of two-way awareness and versatility and stuff like that is what doesn't always show in summer league the fact that he did show it for a team that we were evaluating as can he break into the rotation at some point over that you know next two or three years for a team and and be a cheap contract and all that stuff when he was going to be a son um i think he was headed in that direction so i think he he very well could end up being an nba player i mean he he's one of these guys that kind of cracked a little bit later, uh, blossomed over the course of his college time and, and seems to kind of still be on the upswing even though he's older. So it's a, it's a perfectly good flyer. He's 6'8", he's, he's toolsy, he's uh, kind of awkward because of the lefty stuff, but also pretty fluid. Not the most crazy explosive athlete, but, but actually more kind of athletic than you would think when you might first watch him. So yeah, I think like I said at the beginning of my show, talking through the trade when it happened a few days ago, like I think he's already probably higher in the pecking order than like Keon Johnson would have been, you know, just just in terms of that stuff, because he has kind of put it together in a way where you can see how he would impact winning in the NBA, whereas Johnson, not so much. So, yeah, I think Suns fans were pretty bummed to lose this guy.
Okay, sold. I'm in. I'm all. I'm all in. What? Future, as much as it can boy. be for the 52nd overall pick, right? Like, who knows? But right, everything was yeah, trending. You, like, huh? Okay, I kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. If you find an NBA player in the second round, you did a really good job. And if the Blazers traded yeah. for a guy in the second round who can play, it's, it's you did a really good job. I think the, um, and you mentioned this, and I think this is a, this is a really good point. The Suns basically had to choose a very limited number of people that would join the their extremely expensive roster. And if they chose this dude with the 52nd pick and didn't try to send him to the G League or, uh, you know, two-way him and gave him a real deal, that shows that they thought he deserved to be part of a, a yeah. limited number of options, a limited number of choices there were going to be. So I think I think that matters. Okay. Let's let's just let's finish here. Do you think the Suns got better in this trade? Do you think they are better after this trade than they were prior to it? Yeah, I attempted to answer this question on two episodes yesterday, and I'm not sure that I actually gave my Uh-oh. audience a definitive, <laughs> uh, definitive answer. I think where I come down is their upside as a team probably... It probably increased by a fractional amount. 5, 10, 15%. But part of that is the trade flexibility that they got with this deal, which, you know, isn't very theoretical, but it matters. Um, and and just being able to get to a, a few different types of lineups now, allowing some of their reserve big men to get some run in a way that we didn't expect them to and, and just reimagine the team a little bit rather than everything was just really hinging on if DeAndre could get it together now less so. So I guess there is kind of that upside of like, hey, we could be a different thing. And that that just brings with it a little bit of a higher ceiling. But I also think just kind of punting on a position is is a is a is a crazy thing to do if you're trying to win an NBA championship. And they they got a lot less confident, I think, about the floor of their center spot with this deal. So it's it's hard, but I guess I would say their ceiling got a little higher, their floor got a little lower. I don't know where that leaves you if, uh, as far as better or worse. Yeah, it seems like they got, what they got is higher higher variance, perhaps. Yeah, um, and, yeah and, exactly. Uh, that's I, I don't know. Maybe if you try to win a championship, a little more variance could be could be valuable. Um, I think the Blazers got better. I mean, they lost Damian Lillard, so like worse, but but I, obviously like even significantly worse. Like they're going to win 24 games or something. But like, I think, so I think they got, to be clear, I think they got worse, but I I do think Aiton has a chance to be better than Nurk because the ask is different in each situation. So I I think like, I like the, the money, the part where the money is, is tough for, for Aiton matters so much more on teams that are trying to be good. For rebuilding teams, Aiton's contract isn't that big of a deal. Like, no. the Blazers aren't going to be putting together a team where they're like at the margins and need to make little small moves to help them win in the playoffs. They're just trying to figure out what the next version of the team looks like. And if DeAndre Aiton is part of the next version of the team, great, great. Um, mm-hmm. And if he's way overpaid in, you know, in at the very end, the tail end of this deal, when Scoot and and Shaden Sharp and 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 whatever need need new contracts. They'll deal with it then, but that's years down the line. I think the the money the the money part that makes DeAndre Ayton unappealing to, I don't know, twenty other teams is just like not an impact for the Blazers. So it's literally just about his skill level, and his skill level is pretty high on offense. He's going to make layups. He shoots like seventy percent of the rim. Blazer fans are going to love it. They're going to love it. Yeah. So great touch. Yeah. I, I I think it's I think he's got like obviously the Blazers got worse on purpose, but I think 
um, I think you can kind of see why it matters that they chose this direction. And, you know, once they trade Drew Holiday, then we can decide whether the trade was good or not. And for now, we can just say, whoops, I guess he didn't end up in Miami and take it from there. Um, you got anything else for me? Should we should we just uh, let people go and, and imagine their new centers of the future? One last thing on Aiton is, uh, to, to your point about making them better, like, he never got to run here. Yeah. And... And if this team plays fast, which I would think if you have Scoot Henderson as your point guard, you you should be doing that. Um, he'll just get four more points from that, you know. So I think that that's a fun way to imagine kind of the impact he can have too. And uh, they'll be they'll be super fun to watch. I think if nothing else. Yeah, that's that's my big thing about about this team this year is like they they're probably going to be more more like enjoyable. They haven't been super enjoyable yeah. the last couple seasons. I think the Blazers have a chance to be more mm-hmm. enjoyable and. Not everyone maybe can enjoy 55 losses, but I will have no problem. I will have no problem finding. They'll be my eight o'clock, eight thirty team over the Lakers and Clippers. I'll tell you that. There you go. Real league pass fans know you got to pick a, <laughs> you, a team in every time slot. So um, get on it for the late for the late crowd because the Blazers are going to be um, the entertaining entertaining group. Brendan, this was a whole bunch of fun. I hope both of our listeners um, got what they were looking for. If you are a listener to Lockdown Blazers, check out Lockdown Suns. Covering Nazir Little, covering your boy, Drew Eubanks, the Shack of Troutdale, uh, use of Nurkic in the desert and a whole bunch of fun. And uh, if you're a Suns listener, come on over to the program because DA's got a new home. Brendan, appreciate, appreciate the time. Let's do it again soon. Let's do it. Thanks again to Brendan for joining the show. It was a whole bunch of fun. Tomorrow's show, we're going to focus on the new guys from the Boston Celtics. John Corrales of Locked on Celtics is going to join me. We're going to talk Robert Williams. We're going to talk Malcolm Brogdon. You're not going to want to miss it. It's what we do five days a week, wherever you get podcasts, and also on YouTube. Tell your friends about the show, and then come back tomorrow and make it happen. I appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 